evening, everyone. Welcome to Inc. Heist. This is Laurel Hightower, and I'm joined this evening, as always, by my co-hosts, Rich Duncan and Shane Douglas Keene. And tonight, we are lucky enough to have uh, the newest member of uh, my Off Limits pub family here tonight, Tim McGregor, the author of um, Hearts Strange and Dreadful. Did I get that right? Yeah. Because the other day, I called it something much longer to someone, and they couldn't find it. So that was... was <laughs> no, that's, all. that's okay. It's a weird title. Um, well, it's, it, I love it. It's perfect. The, uh, just everything, mm-hmm. everything about the cover art and everything is, but before I start gushing, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll finish introducing you. Uh, Tim is also the author of, um, the spook show series, That's right. uh, which I think last I saw that had, uh, 10 entries in it. Yeah. 10, 10. That's, that's impressive as well as the bad wolf trilogy. Um, so you have quite a lot under your belt and we're really glad to have you here. Well, thanks. I'm I'm really happy to be here. Uh, um, like I said earlier, I, I'm kind of a fan of the show, um, so it's it's neat to nice to meet you all over our online. Yeah, we we appreciate that. Um, and uh, if you want to just give us, you know, the the new kid at school, um, right. and just yeah, let let everybody know what what you got going on. Okay. Um, I've been writing for a while. Uh, I guess most of my life, but. Uh, I've been doing it seriously for about what is it, 20, about 10 years, I guess, or no, longer than that. But I've been writing novels for about 10 years and self-publishing them. Um, before that, I worked briefly in film, um, writing movies, like low-budget movies. Um, and I guess, I've, I don't know, I've always kind of written and created in some capacity or other. And other than that, I've... Uh, I got two kids. I live in Toronto. Uh, married to a very smart woman who puts up with me. So, um, <laughs> yeah, life life is good except for the pandemic that's turning my brain to mush. But yes, yeah, yes, that makes us all makes this the only way any of us can meet anybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Tim, um, I saw too, like in your bio, you're kind of like. Uh, you know, reading off where you're from and things like that. I saw that like in your, on your website bio, it says you also live with the spiteful ghost of an old Irish lady. Yeah. That's, it's kind of a joke, but it's also kind of not. It's just, there's been a few things, a few weird things in the house. Um, like my youngest, uh, says she sometimes hears somebody laughing outside her window and I get weird other things. And I've just kind of nicknamed the ghost Mrs. O'Malley. Uh, just because whenever strange things happens, I just say it's it's Mrs. O'Malley. She's upset. Just it'll be okay. Um, th- there was one time years ago when we were renovating the basements and I was tearing up a piece of concrete floor. I I found a bone, not a huge bone. What? Yeah, it could have been. <laughs> the, the the weird thing is I'd heard this from other people in the neighborhood that they had found bones underneath their floor, like like on our street. And I think it was just a thing back, like, this house is over 100 years old. Uh, I think people just buried their, their animal bones in the basement. I don't know if they didn't want to put them outside or whatnot. Now, so it's probably just that. But I always used to kind of joke around that I had her little arm bone. <laughs> I kept it, too. So that just kind of added to the whole thing. And, and now it's it's just Mrs. O'Malley. And if something weird happens in the house or if something breaks, it's the old lady's upset and we just kind of uh, abide by it. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> 
Especially the, the laughter outside the window. That uh, right. that is that is creepy. Yeah, yeah that one does. Yeah. That one does kind of creep me because I, I I do actually think Matt, that our youngest is a little sensitive to that kind of thing. Just mm-hmm. from stuff she's done in the past. So it, it just adds to the whole ghost lore. So yeah. that's fun. Yeah, I think. Um, except for the part where I'd make damn sure there's no footprints outside my kid's window, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, far, so far nothing like that. But <laughs> um, no, I think I think you're being haunted by my grandmother by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Does Does he have anything to worry about then? Probably a whole shitload because she she got a mean purse. <laughs> well, I will try not to piss her off then. She beat my Aunt Mabel half to death with that purse one time. <laughs> this is, you know, one of the old like carpet bag purses. You know, right, right, those big ones. <laughs> yep. Well, m- maybe I should rename her Mrs. Keen then. There you go. There you go. <laughs> She'll behave herself then. <laughs> no, not likely. <laughs> Consider who you're talking to, Tim. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, have you have you always pretty much written on the darker side of things? Like, I mean, I know. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I, I, I've been a horror nut since I was a kid. Um, which I feel like most of my like my dad was really into horror, and my brother and sister like we're all kind of a family of creeps um except for my mom she was more into like mysteries and thrillers but it's always kind of been there uh so everything i've written has kind of gone horror or sometimes i'll do like crime thriller stuff but it's mostly just horror it's a fascination that just won't go away (laughs) i i feel that i was curious because when you were talking about the ghost i was wondering like so is that was that kind of your first experience with one or in in the in the haunted wilds of, of Toronto, were you also, uh, no, this did you run into it a lot? No, I didn't actually. Um, the, the weird things I've only ever had happen here in the house. So I, I think it's just whatever's here. Sorry. It's just something in this house. I'm not one of those people who sees ghosts and stuff. I wish I was, but, uh, it's, yeah, it's just weird stuff in this house. So, you know, I hadn't ever been a person who saw anything of any sort until just recently. I actually saw a neighbor that I never had anything to do with checking his mail, and he's been dead for a couple of years. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's weird. But it was so it was so normal that I just walked into my house, and then it dawned on me that couldn't have fucking been Carl. <laughs> that must have freaked you out. Yeah. It did because I don't believe in that shit, and it made it right. really hard. <laughs> the more you say that, the more they're going to come for you. I just have to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I well, think, I'm. So no, sorry, go ahead, Tim. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say I think that's that's partly why I like things like that because when it does happen, you kind of go. It gives you that weird tingle down the back of your neck, like what the fuck did I just see? That it's uh. I don't know. It's, it's fascinating. I, I I definitely would have gotten that. Like when you said you th- thought you found bones in your basement, I definitely would have got the tingle on my I know. It's, it's, such a, it's such a plot out of a, out of a horror movie, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That, that was the thing, pardon me for interrupting again with my stupid anecdotes, but that was the thing that I thought was so 
interesting and made me say, I think uh, you're being haunted by my grandmother is because they did that very thing with their pets. They had a dirt basement floor and that was the pet graveyard. Did they? So, yeah. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. And maybe I was assuming it was just, uh, you know, they butcher an animal and then bury the bones or just the leftovers from dinner. Yeah. But maybe it's the pets. That makes more sense, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, because I know I, nobody did it in my lifetime, but my grandpa used to talk about it all the time when they were younger, that that was a common practice for them because they didn't want to bury them in the yard and attract oh, right, of um, course. scavengers. Yeah, that makes total sense. Huh. Yeah, the old people are a lot more practical than we are. <laughs> Just bury them down there, son. Exactly. <laughs> the whole shove it in, bury it, forget it. <laughs> well, so I was I was wondering because in in kind of looking at your back catalog, it looks like is is this your first um, historical uh, is. horror? Is okay. Yeah. 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 It's it's kind of a first uh, for a number of reasons. It's the it's the first time I've written something historical, which was fun. Um, it's the first time I wrote something first person, and it's the first one that's been traditionally published. Everything else has been I've been putting it out myself. So uh, this one was kind of special, and I was really happy to find a home with it with uh, with Off Limits. That uh, it's really been amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I constantly gush as, about that. As you know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Laura. No, go ahead. I was just going to say Sam Koyesnik rocks. Um, everything she touches turns to gold and every every author she publishes she just has a perfect fucking eye for good writing you know yeah she really does and i i I noticed that like when um when sam and i first talked it was back in july so it was before uh your book came out laura so like the, the, the very first book so when when it did come out i was very curious to see what it you know what their first book would be uh and i was blown away by crossroads because it's it's such a powerfully perfectly written book i loved it um thank you so much but uh no, no problem it was i genuinely loved it but it was also like a, the book was fantastic but then i also realized okay this is where uh off limits is setting the bar it's way the fuck up here um for their opening their opening first shot so right yeah it's, it's kind of clear like sam's not fooling around i want this to be really good so i got really excited once uh when i read uh, crossroads and realized what's what the press was going to be so that was cool yeah and the just the the way that she handles things you know because again like you know indies indie presses typically obviously don't have the kind of of money to market the way that a big five does yeah. But it can be done in savvy ways and it, it could be done in not savvy ways. And, um, you know, I mean, Sam just she when we first talked um, about Crossroads, it was just very clear that she had a, a eagle eyed, you know, marketing plan. And that I mean, yeah, it's, it's just something that I feel like, you know, because because your book is, you know, it's already it's hitting everywhere. It's getting fantastic reviews and. There will be much gushing. This will not be the last time. But I, you know, part of the reason that that I asked about the historical fiction thing too is because it was one of the things that we discussed as we were reading it this week. It's like, first of all, I feel like first person in, in that sort of historical dialect can be very hard to pull off. Right. Um, 
and it it's just flawless. It's um, oh, it, it very much pulls you into it. Uh, and, and it is really just almost impossible to put down. It really is. It, it just flows really well. And I, don't, I just uh, so I'm, I'm surprised that that's your first historical fiction and your first uh, first first person as well. Oh, very exactly. effective. Yeah, me too. That's, that's really sweet. Um, I know. I mean, I mean, I I really appreciate that, especially coming from you guys, because uh, I know your taste in in books. Um, but I had a lot of fun doing this one. Like, there was a certain amount of research, but I didn't go crazy with it. But I I just remember how much fun I had writing this thing, because I was really like why not just shoot for the fences on this thing? Try to get, um, just try to create a really strong character voice, but within historical and historical context. So, mm-hmm. and then take yeah. that character and place it in an incredible set of other characters too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Really, really all, all the, um, Hester's an amazing character. Oh, Has thank you. Perfect, perfect voice. Um, and, Yet you still manage to get, this is hard to say and make sense, but kind of behind the emotion of the other characters, too. You kind of make us, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, there's a lot more of a, a showing going on there than a telling with the character, but you feel their personalities, kind of. Thank you. That's, that's like the highest compliment. Um, I, when I wrote this book, or I, I'd read... I've heard of the New England vampire phenomenon uh, for a long time. And then a couple of years ago, I read a book by an author named Michael E. Bell. It's a nonfiction book. He describes himself as a folklorist. And he was trying to track down every instance of this weird phenomenon that he could find. Um, and his book was just fascinating. And when I read it, I was kind of like, I got to write something like this. Um, but in a lot of the details I have in the book, I kind of plucked right from uh, his research or other sources that he cited. Um, there's even, there's a passage, I think early on where faith, the, the very pious sister, she says something kind of funny about how she, they hate the Puritans over here and they hate the Presbyterians over there. Yes. That was taken verbatim from somebody's actual, uh, historical text because it's such a funny passage to just to just the way they talk about it like that they you know they hold the presbyterians in contempt and blah 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 it's like, <laughs> that's got to go in there <laughs> yeah. especially to be so pious it's like yes yeah. i'm quite pious but i hate all of these other religions they're terrible people and they're 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 all misguided yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, that's, that's probably what makes it so funny is because the difference between them all is very slight like it's they're all they're all part they're all uh christianity but you know these slight differences in it they all hate each other over it (laughs) (laughs) typical family dynamic in a way (laughs) yeah yeah, true at least my family because everybody was like oh jesus this and jesus that and i was like fuck off Sorry, but uh, I'm not anti-religion. I'm just anti-Shane religion. No, no, I, I, I totally get it. I, I come from a, a family of uh, strong Catholics, so I, I totally understand it. <laughs> I, I am so sorry for that. We should talk. <laughs> it's okay. You know, I, I'm okay with it now. I used, I used to really, I used to, I used to hold a lot of resentment about it when I was younger, but now it's, I kind of realized it's kind of filtered the way I think. 
is not all for the good, but um, yeah. with something like this, like writing this book, it actually kind of came in handy to sort of pop my head back into that kind of thinking. Yeah, when you uh, pull out, um, and not to spoil anything, this is fairly early, but when you pull out that scene where Faith is um, describing Sodom and Gomorrah to the younger children, right. and it's like, you nailed the fucking fire and brimstone creature that I had for a while when I was a kid. I mean, because he scared the fuck out of me, and she would scare the fuck out of those kids, too. <laughs> <Tell me. laughs> <laughs> Why did she well, turn salt? Well, because she didn't obey. That's, right. <laughs> that's a Sorry. great story. <laughs> but the point being um, that you made it really believable, and I think that you're probably your background is really useful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it did come in handy. And I'm I'm glad to hear that it it worked out. You know, um, seeing the feedback on the book and, and hearing something like that is uh, it's like gold to me because I realize it. At least I did something. I think I did something right. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, and um, just to kind of echo what Shane said, and like I don't know if this is kind of like what you had in mind when you wrote it. But it was interesting, like with that historical context, it was almost kind of like when people think like small town horror, they kind of think of, you know, like more contemporary settings. But I got kind of that same vibe, but, you know, filtered through like a different time period. And I thought that that was pretty cool. I don't know if that was something that you were going for. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, it's it's kind of the same dynamic, like no matter what the time period would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you got a small community, especially when you're kind of cut off from uh, the rest of the world, uh, and if something terrible is happening, people are going to start to, you know, close ranks or point the finger or, you know, the kind of stuff that normally happens. So that's just huge. That's that's just human beings, right? No matter what the time period. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> the awkward pause. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Longer. Than... Go ahead, Lil. Um, I was gonna. I was gonna ask too because I saw. You know, you mentioned you did. You did some screenwriting. Um, and I. I read too that you had initially that you had adapted. Uh, Bad Wolf actually from a screenplay that you had written. Yeah. Um, so I was curious whether that's something that you're still kind of doing. Whether that's something that you at least contemplate with all of your works. Um, I, I know everyone, you know, jumps right into, you wrote a book. Is it going to be a movie yet? You right, know, right. <laughs> but, I, I, I but know, given that skill set, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't anymore. Cause I, I was, I kind of got, I came to writing books kind of backwards. I, I tend to do everything backwards, but I was writing screenplays first. Um, so, I'm not so in, I, I, it, it's okay, but working in film is kind of a strange thing because it's, it's really collaborative. Um, so like the, the first novel that I did write or finish was Bad Wolf, which was adapted from, I wrote, wrote it as a film first and then adapted to a, uh, a novel. But now I don't, um, I guess it'd be nice if a movie came out of one, but I'm not that concerned about it. So, uh, and, and I don't write uh, f- scripts anymore because I'd just rather write books. So, 
Yeah, that was kind of what I, I'm, I'm always interested in, you know, especially if a writer is going from one sort of format to another, mm-hmm. um, what you end up preferring. But it sounds like books is definitely, I can see it giving you a lot more scope for the descriptive language, you know, mm-hmm. for, for setting uh, for setting those scenes. Right. But do you also feel that that screenwriting kind of uh, gave you stronger storytelling skills? Skills. Oh, for sure. Yeah, w- without a doubt. In fact, I think if there's one thing I'm good at, I not to sound egotistical or anything, but I think I'm pretty good at pacing uh, in a book to keep it keep it chugging along, and that I think comes directly from screenwriting. Uh, just because writing a script, uh, it, it things really have to move. Like every scene has to do uh, a number of things, and it's you know, it, it just has to move because the book you reading a book is a different experience. You, you know, you know, you're going to pick it up and put it down, but a, a movie, everything's got to chug right along like a steam train. So I think, yeah, yeah I definitely learned pacing and, and how to, how to cut a scene to, um, to get the most out of it. Um, like, like there's a, there's a piece of advice from screenwriting called, uh, to, um, start the scene as late as possible and get out as quick as you can. All that means is just cutting out all the crap or all the, uh, non-essential stuff. But I've, I think I've gotten used to like, um, I've gotten good at just keeping the, the scenes quick. So the pacing is really tight. So, Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm just kind of, well, it's, it's the sort of thing that you learn too, like, you know, to, to write short stories and things. It's to, to, to be able to make that stuff smaller, you have to narrow your scope, right. you know, and, and then a lot of times you find like when you do that, when you launch right into it, yeah, you've managed to leave out a lot of exposition you didn't really need in the first place. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Tim, I know, I know you said you tried not to go like too overboard with the research, but like um, one of the things that I thought was cool and I didn't know if this is like one of the focuses of your research for the novel was kind of like those kind of weird, like old timey, like death superstitions that they had, like the thing with the cloths over the mirror um, and, you know, just other things that take place, again, trying to avoid spoilers, but just some of those weird, like, death rituals almost. Right. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Like, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I was gonna, some of them um, are weird superstitions you'll find uh, at some point in the past, and some I kind of made up. Um, the thing with the covering the mirrors with uh, cloth, I've heard of... For one, it's it's a tradition in in Judaism, uh, and it's meant to be a the purpose there is more for vanity, like the idea being cover the mirror because it's not about you. Focus on the morning. Um, but I've also read other people do it because they think that the soul will get uh, will get distracted by a mirror and not find its way out of the house. So it was kind of a weird mishmash of like just pulling different things together to make it sound halfway plausible in the book or just just goofy enough that it might make sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because superstitions are so – like a lot of them seem so weirdly random and, and absurd. 
Um, but I kind of like, I really love shit like that. Um, like putting pennies over someone's eyes. To, I, I, I don't even know what, the, know what that's for. Um, uh, it's for, it's to pay the ferryman. Um, yeah, exactly. Oh, is that what it is? Oh, right, yep. right. Is it Caron? Car- I don't know how it's pronounced. Caron? <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Caron something. Yeah. It makes sense. Like, it, it's bizarre and weird, but it does make mm-hmm. a weird kind of sense. A weird kind and of sense. I love that stuff. And yeah. my, my old bitch of a grandma keeps visiting. <laughs> she, she, she was terrified of people putting their elbows on the table. Really? Yeah, bad, bad, bad luck, man. Somebody's gonna die if you do that. Don't ever do that in front of grandma. She'll get that purse. <laughs> that's, that's weird. I, mean, I know it's considered rude or bad table manners, but I've never heard of it being bad luck. That's so weird. Yeah. No. To her, to her, I have always was told too by even her daughter, my mom, that uh, that it was just a manners thing, but right. grandma. Certainly didn't think so, and Grandma was the boss of the whole entire fucking world. <laughs> it's funny how that stuff really does stick with you, though, because I, I, I'm somebody who, you know, I, I definitely believe in ghosts and things like that, but I don't really believe in in bad luck or you know, anything like that. But by golly, if I break a mirror, I'm pretty unhappy about it, and I absolutely throw <laughs> salt over my shoulder and, you know, all those little things. Like, not because I really think something's going to happen, but gosh, you know, why not cover all your bases? Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I do that. I used to pray at night just in case. Really? <laughs> <laughs> just sign off with, just in case, love Shane. Hey, yeah. Real good, right, God? Love you. Bye. <laughs> Just to cover all your bases. Exactly. You know, when I was, sorry. No, go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say, like, just talking about religion and weird superstitions and stuff. um, When I was a kid, I thought that my family was pushing me into the seminary because I knew that they always had at least one member of every generation in the clergy. Like, I had an aunt who was a nun, and there there was always... Um, priests or nuns all the way back in my dad's family. And when I was a kid, I was always being given um, rosaries or crucifixes. And I thought, oh, my God, I, they picked me. They're going to shove me into the seminary. <laughs> and it wasn't until years later uh, that I found out that I was being given that stuff because I was actually the patriarch, meaning uh, I was the eldest male with the name McGregor, which is – you know that's clearly patriarchy at its worst, but that was that was why I was being given all this religion stuff. Where for years I was terrified they were just going to take me and shove me in the seminary and say, "Well, you're the one. You're, 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 you're the sacrifice for this generation." What a nightmare, man! I'd, I'd rather my parents drop me in a pit with a fucking fire-breathing dragon. <laughs> funny though how like that stuff when you're a kid you you feel like you don't have a choice you're like oh yeah. oh god i've been chosen son of a yeah. great now i'm gonna be a priest right i guess the metal band is out of the question no <laughs> yeah. well you get that out of your system in high school and then then you know you go into the seminary but i was yeah. wondering why because i think i saw on your website that you had studied english and religion was that had what were you still kind of feeling forced into it at that point or was that more just an interesting no, that was that was just interesting but it was also uh i think the catholic thing just kind of screwed me up for a while 
so I was when I got to when I was in university, I just started taking courses on on world religions and and uh, courses on like uh, the search for the historical Jesus, which I found really fascinating. Uh, so that's just like a it's like a hangover effect of being Catholic, having a uh, a weird, an almost morbid interest in in religion. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I mean that makes that makes a lot of sense though. The um the theological seminary here in Lexington, um like you can apply to get a a library card there even if you're not in the seminary. Oh. Uh, and it's I've been a couple times and there is some interesting stuff on there. Uh, you know, as you can imagine, there's a ton of books, but my husband um, has a standing card there and he goes and because, I mean, that's one of the things he loves to do. He kind of, um, I think he grew up more Baptist maybe, uh, but it was kind of the same thing where like when he went to college, he started to question things, but he, you know, he just wanted to learn more. So he, that's to this day is what his passion is, is he, you know, he reads all these spiritual texts and researches religions and things like that. And I do think, you know, and of course I'm, I think from a writing standpoint, it's so interesting, you know, to incorporate that kind of thing um, because it, you know, it gives your character some breadth and it adds that, especially in horror, you know, yeah, yeah. you got to have that kind of thing mm-hmm. in there. So, yeah, it does make a weird kind of sense. It, it, in some ways it may even explain why I've always had a fascination with horror. Like when you grow up being told, you know, the, like the, there was good and there's evil, evil is always more cool like satan's always more interesting than god so who knows (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah Yeah. (laughs) isn't isn't he everyone's favorite (laughs) he's lisa quigley's favorite for sure (laughs) yeah if you've read hell's bells and if you haven't i highly suggest it but uh i will put um, that on my list um I, i need more I'm trying to get not just because next month is Women in Horror Month, but just in general, I'm trying to read more, more women horror writers. So I need to put I'll put some Lisa Quigley on the list. Yeah, that's one of those things. I, I actually I think the um, you know I I know we hear you know some some blowback now about like well don't just read it in February. It's like well right. no, but I think February is great to to have those pushes so that you get I mean because. I don't know about you, but like before I kind of joined this horror community thing and and I am a woman who wrote horror and I didn't know there were anywhere near this many of us. It's just not it's not as easy to find. Right. So you, right. you know, you have to make the the effort. So I I love the whole thing. I, I love yeah. the, uh, you know, just getting to showcase everybody. Yeah. Like, well, like why, why not just I mean, I, I get the point about you should read them all year long, of course, but let's just celebrate it. And, and yeah. Just, just sing it to the heavens. Yeah. I agree. Because there's, there's tons out there. There's so many. I, I'm willing to bet there's almost more active, at least in the in the indie community, mm-hmm. more active horror writers that are female than male. It, it, it just seems that way. Yeah. There are a ton of them now, and that's the thing that I was going to say, too, is what Laurel was talking about. It's so hard to find, especially if you haven't been introduced to the indie community because mainstream if they embrace any horror at all it's going to be someone like chris golden or you know john mayberry or someone like that you know and rarely rarely do you see them public horror by a woman Mm -hmm. yeah i agree well have you um what a 
do you want to tell some of some of the authors that you've well I guess I'm going to back up real quick on that did you when did you kind of first delve into the you know the kind of indie horror community was it just fairly recently or were you always kind of involved in it no uh it's only been the last couple years actually even though I've been uh self-publishing for a while and putting out stuff for at least it's been at least 10 years now um, I've never really felt a part of any kind of community. Uh, you know, like writing is a lonely business anyway. And when you're self-publishing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's even more kind of isolated. You're just on your own more. It's not like with traditional yeah. publishing, you'd be, you'd have an editor and an agent and stuff like that. Uh, so, but no, it's only been the last couple of years. I don't know if the community's always been there and I just kind of found my way into it mostly through Twitter. Um, or if it's just kind of blossomed over the last couple of years into something new that is very welcoming and very, um, just very warm, like the, the horror community on Twitter, at least, uh, has been fantastic to, to be, be part of. So I, what, what, what do you think? Like, like, has it, has it always been there or do you think it's more of a recent phenomenon? Um, I'd say that's probably more because I'm I'm around the same way as you. I didn't really dip a toe in until a couple of years ago. Um, But Rich and Shane have been on the scene quite a bit longer. So they they would be what what are your all's takes? Yeah, um, I I think it's always been there, but um, because I think like when I started my first like book blog, I'm pretty sure it was in like 2014, maybe maybe right. a little bit right. earlier, and it was kind of there then, but I don't know if it's just more of like my experience of digging even further because you know when I started that I was relatively new to it or if it really has but like it seems like it's always been there but it seems like it's definitely been growing at a pretty a pretty good rate over the last couple of years in terms of more people being involved you know both fans and people that support the community and also writers right maybe like, like, like maybe it's just kind of hit a critical mass point like you said it's always been mm-hmm. there or maybe it's just the community kind of like all these disparate or separate writers and communities all kind of merging together and getting closer. I, I don't know. Or, or is, it, could it be that, um, you know, horror has always had a stigma to it. It's always been sort of ghettoized. Maybe yeah. that, maybe that stigma is just kind of like falling away. And it's, just a, it's just a genre like any, like any other genre. Yeah. I think from my point of view, though, looking at horror as an indie, genre um it really is kind of a combination of what rich said and what you said um because there was kind of a a, what i would consider a steady flow of indie horror um but moderate in 2012 um by 2014 when i first started reviewing um it had just fucking exploded so it's kind of kind of a combo of both it was kind of there but quiet right in right. early 21st century and you know but and now shit man sky's the limit people keep yeah up and up and publishing more of it yeah, yeah. but uh, you know I, 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 having like with with that I, I also wonder if because horror has been kind of underserved 
as a genre in mainstream mainstream publishing. Uh, maybe that's why it's kind of blossomed because it's always it's been pushed to the sidelines. So the by now the the indie community, there's so many people uh, writing horror. It's just mm-hmm. kind of it's bloomed in the shadow, and now it's suddenly like a huge thing, and and still being kind of ignored by tradition or by traditional publishing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or the or the famous, you know, taking a hardcore horror novel and calling it a thriller novel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah, and I think one cool thing too is like I think we've said it a couple times on the show is like I know at least for myself. Um, like I always kind of viewed, cause I was always into like punk music and stuff like that. Um, I always kind of equated the approach kind of similar between the two, especially with like indie heart and the whole, like do it yourself thing. Yeah. And, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of great publishers, you know, like Sam with off limits and Grindhouse and gray matter and bloodshot books and just tons and tons of people who, you know, we're like, you know, I'm really into this and I want to do something, you know, to kind of be a part of that community, contribute to that community. And they've managed to build like these really great publishers where, um, you know, the book that they're putting out are of such great quality. It's almost like, you know, I read authors who, you know, make it to the mainstream and get mainstream book deals and I'm happy for them, but it's almost to the point where like you don't, you don't even really need to worry about that just because there's so many, you know, great independent presses out there. Like there's no shortage of great books for you to check out. No, that's true. There seems to be a a heck of a lot of um, great small presses out there. Like uh, off limits aside, there's, uh, you know, Silver Shamrock and, Mm -hmm. uh, Flame tree, like there's there's a lot of them. They're putting out great stuff, which is nice to see. And, and, yeah. and I do concur about the the sort of punk rock, do it yourself uh, ethos. It, there does seem to be something of that uh, with people just like saying, screw it, I'm going to start my own small press and put out the kind of stuff I want to see out there. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's the first time I've ever been part of something punk. I feel good about that. <laughs> <laughs> Laura looks down at her cowboy boots. <laughs> we call that Kentucky, I'm, not, I'm not wearing shoes. What are you <laughs> I, I haven't worn shoes since last February. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of uh, along in that same vein as well. I was, I was. And again, maybe this is just me. I don't know. But I was just so unaware of all these, you know, these subgenres that I've kind of been delving into and and figuring out what they are. Um, And I was wondering if you, you know, if you had kind of come across any of those that you felt like you thought you might try your hand at next. Um, You you know, I have been seeing I I just read um, one of these splatterpunk, not splatterpunk. Splatterpunk Westerns that Death's Head is oh, put in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I read, yeah, Splatter Westerns. Yeah. yeah. I read Red Station by, by Kenzie Jennings, which was really good and a lot of fun. But I have to say, I was reading that going, this this could, would be a lot of fun to do, something in a, yeah. a oh, yeah. Western thing. <laughs> I love Weird Westerns, so yeah, I agree with you totally yeah. on that. 
and you'd be good at it too. I've read part of the first, uh, the first uh, Spook Town one, and um, or whatever it's called. My memory sucks. Um, and also this one, and I think you, I think you can pull it off. It, it just mm-hmm. looks like a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. Like, That's uh, Death Death's Head Press, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 That's all. I'm done interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I, I, um, as for other, yeah, I, I know what you mean about uh, there seems to be a it really it can really kind of break down into a lot of weird subgenres, and I'm I'm discovering stuff I've never really heard of either, like horror or something. Uh, which I find really interesting, but I think horror is such a malleable genre. You could really bolt it onto mm-hmm. anything else, and it will still it will work. You know, like if it's like we we're just talking about horror westerns, but it could be horror sci-fi, horror romance, horror. Yep. It could really kind of work with anything else. So. Yeah. That's Go interesting ahead. too. Yeah. Go ahead, Laurel. No, that was it. That was really it. You go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I just was thinking about that I, when you started saying that. It's like, God, that would even work with romance, and what a what a kind yeah. of an interesting mashup that would be. You know, it, it, it probably even already exists. It's just you know, it's called yeah. thrillers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I was just I was, I was just thinking about Gone Girl. I don't know if you guys read Gone Girl or saw the movie, but yeah. I think that could easily slot into horror romance mm-hmm. yeah, oh yeah I point. That. yeah, um, yeah and, uh, that's another author who yeah gets classified as thriller but if you've ever read sharp objects fuck that noise man yeah. terrifying <laughs> oh yeah sharp objects is good no go ahead Tim oh, I was just going to say I think she put out a short story just a couple of years ago that was a, a ghost story I can't remember the name of it really yeah, it was just. Oh a, yeah. I can't. It had a very generic sounding name, but uh, and I read it and I enjoyed it and I don't remember a thing about it. But th- there you go. The, she, the grown up is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. That's okay. I just looked it up. Wow, I had not heard of that. I'm gonna have to. Grab no, it. me either. I'm gonna have to read it again because I don't remember anything about it, but I remember I enjoyed it. So there you go. She's a she's a horror writer too. Yeah, for sure. I swear if I ever open a bookstore, I'm going to have a thriller section, but thriller is going to be in parentheses. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just like, no, we can't market this. We can't market this. (laughs) Thriller in parentheses with an asterisk. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all going to be horror all over the place. Yeah, it should just just categorize them different horror drama, horror sci-fi. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Horror geography. Yeah. <laughs> I would read that. Really. Horror, horror history. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It, it, it works. It works all it around. Does. It, it does. does. Actually, Ed Ed Erdelak is really good at that. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Edward Erdelak. He wrote a really good book called uh andersonville i think yeah rich yeah stellar stellar uh old old timey i think civil war era right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. um and it takes place in a in a prison a very brutal one uh it's rough it's rough because the place he based on was a real place and it was nightmarish but God, I'm on the show and I keep getting my TBR 
sacrifice. <laughs> <Yeah>. Never end. <laughs> um, well, I would I would love to talk to you some about the uh, if you want to talk some about how you started doing the self publishing aspect because that that is another thing that I have really gotten into since I've you know since I've gotten here because some of some of just the best stuff that I've read is self published and it's. I love it because, again, in the horror genre, especially, I think it's important because we do hear that all the time. You know, I can't sell ghosts. I can't sell this. This doesn't right, fit. Right. And people are just saying, yeah, well, you know what? I think it does sell and I'm going to make it work. And and I love that. So I'd, I'd love uh, if you want to talk some about how you got started with that. And <clears throat> Sure. Um, uh, I was I was working film and I was just kind of getting myself starting to get going as a screenwriter i had a couple low low budget features made and then everything kind of ground to a halt in 2008 when the financial crisis hit because the work i was getting it was all the companies that i was finding work with they they all just uh, closed up shop because almost all film production in this town closed up shop because the banks were going crazy and nobody was lending money so suddenly there was like no work to be had and I was already um, starting to not like the process of filmmaking um, so then I heard uh, I heard about the beginnings of self-publishing back in 2010 I think or 2011 somewhere around there um, and I started seeing what other people were doing because they were other authors they were blogging about it uh, and there was a number of them who were traditionally published authors they were kind of like mid-list authors so they weren't huge sellers but they were consistent sellers uh, mostly in like uh, crime and mystery who had all been dumped by their publishers because the publishers were now all chasing the next you know twilight or, or harry potter so a couple of them started experimenting with self-publishing when it was first available. Uh, and they were, they were just blogging about what they were doing, like how they were doing it and the num- numbers they were seeing and how much they enjoyed the freedom of it. And I decided, you know what, I've, I've always wanted to write a novel. Um, I tried a few times before that to write one and I just, you know, didn't finish. But this seemed like kind of a cool opportunity. So uh, I just kind of dove in and like I, I had that bad wolf script, which is a weird, again, a genre mashup horror and police procedural. And I thought, let's just go with that one. Uh, so it was kind of a, there was, there was a learning curve, especially with learning how to actually format your ebook. Cause back in those days you had to actually, it was just, it's just HTML code. You'd have to like get it all, coded right um but you know i got it up there on the amazon site and i started seeing some sales and and then i just kind of carried on because i was like i i fucking love this there's no you know working film it's very collaborative there's always there's producers and directors and everyone's got their hand in the creative pie and it ends up sometimes just turning to shit um but this was just me like maybe yeah. And it also had these, uh, the sort of do-it-yourself punk ethos. Back uh, when I was younger, I used to make my own comic books and zines because it was just, it was just kind of the cool thing to do. Like I, um, you just make your own 
comic book or a zine and you trade it with friends and you put it in the, the record store or the comic right. store. So it was, it was kind of like that same energy, like I'm on my own and I'm just going to hunker down and do this. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. And then I started, uh, yeah, that's just kind of how it started and kind of grew from there. I don't know. I, I can see I wouldn't be able to build the film industry because it'd be like that whole creative pie thing, get your hand off my fucking pie, you know. Yeah, it's, it's pretty intense. I bet. That's the most thing, though, is I have a friend, Adam uh, Gomelin, who's in the film industry, and this guy is like on some kind of weird ass juice that keeps him going 24 hours a day and his mouth nonstop moving. <laughs> yeah, that's, that seems like a lot of, a lot of energy uh, would be needed for that kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that aspect of it, but I do, because I also think that's something that's fun about the indie world is, you know, I, I know some people who publish with the big five and you never get to keep your title. Uh, you know, you don't have any say in your cover art. You don't have any say in like the back cover blurb and how things are marketed and what it's connected to. And there's, I mean, we're, we're probably all in it in a mix for like the, the art and the fun and getting our words out there, but also it's nice to get sales, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think especially one of the really great aspects of self-publishing is having such control over things like, you know, putting it on sale. Um, right. Or making, you know, the the first one in a series free so that people can get into it. And, you know, just stuff like that. There's just so much more control. Yeah, it's that's, it, you know, it can be kind of a two edged sword because one, you don't you know, it's just you. It's you. You get to choose the cover art and how it's formatted and the pricing. And then if it doesn't sell, well, there's only one person to blame, and that's you. <laughs> uh, well, that's but, true. It, but the freedom of it is really cool. And it actually, working with Sam and Off Limits, it was kind of funny because I'm so used to doing all of it myself. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I don't have to fret. I don't have to pull my hair out trying to find a book cover for this thing. Or I don't have to, like, deal with all this formatting or the publicity stuff. Like, somebody else is there to do it. So it's, it's been kind of a... Coming at it this way, it's been really nice to uh, nice experience because the heavy lifting part is kind of off my shoulders and somebody else is looking after it, whereas I'm used to just doing it all myself. Yeah. Um, but I, I did want to ask Laurel because I think I heard in a previous episode, were you thinking about self-publishing or just curious about it? Um, it's more one of those things I didn't know anything about. Um, right. In in my experience, because I you know I would always go to the Kentucky Book Fair. And self-publishing meant some guy in overalls who'd basically yeah. written it in, you know, on a typewriter. And um, and I always bought those because I had a thing where if they didn't have a line, I felt sorry for them. Yeah. And uh, there was always a really good reason, you know. Where they, but but I mean, it's also like I think that is, I think that's such a false um, impression of of what it is and what it can be. I mean, uh -huh. obviously. You know, there's there is some of that out there, but I I do think in particular, you know, one of the things that especially Violet Castro and, and Angel Louise Colon kind of introduced me to the idea of, you know, was the was the deficit in um in own voices, uh, and yes, yes, you know that's that's another part of it is is getting to see, um, you know, getting getting what you want out there without any 
because I know what Violet heard a lot was, oh, uh, I can't sell this because I can't relate to this character. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and what oh the and God. what that translates to is, I'm sorry, this person is uh, they're a different color than me. And I just, mm-hmm. you know, I just don't think I can get there. I don't think my readers are get there. And it's like, wow. Yeah. You know, and so seeing that kind of thing, I feel like self-publishing is incredibly empowering. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know. Sure. In a lot of ways, I I do think because that is, you know, when you talk about the double edged, edged sword with it, uh, Gemma Amore, you know, and S.H. Cooper and, and Haley Piper, some some of the people that I, I know who've, who've done it, it's, you know, they will caution that it's like, hey, you do have to do absolutely all of this. You know, it's yeah. not it's not just a, a walk in the park and, and there is so much that's involved with it. But I, I do just think it's a really. I, I love seeing the rise of it and I love seeing and, and I always think it's interesting for people who've done, you know, multiple um, avenues there. I was kind of, I was curious about what you thought you would do in the future. Do you think you'll hybrid? Do you think it'll just maybe depend on the piece? Uh, you know, I think I will, I'm going to strive to be a hybrid. Um, the, the thing with, with self-published, like my, my book series sells, uh, okay. But my standalone books, unless I like pick a month and decide to just I'm just going to pour all my marketing and all my budget into into the advertising this thing they don't really sell at, at best it uh the readers of the series will sometimes go and cherry pick and read something else of mine so I think from now on uh I I think I'll try to I, I'll have my current running series and I'm going to try to come up with another one but for standalones I think there is enough of uh there's so many great uh indie presses in the horror genre I think I'll go to them I will try to go to them for standalone novels because I think it would work better for me as a as an author to have a, a foot in both camps and forget about um, the big publishers, because I don't. That that almost seems like a just too bit too long a shot to to take. Um, what I've got now, I think, is probably ideal. So. Yeah, I think I can really see why that would be, <laughs> you know, beneficial on both ends of it. So, with your, are you continuing to write in this in the uh, in the the bigger series that you've got going on? Is that still an ongoing prospect? It is unbelievably. I never meant for it to go this far. Uh, when I really started doing it, I thought maybe four books. Four books would take care of the sort of arc I had in mind. But I was just really enjoying it, and there was a readership there who kept asking when the next one would be out, and I've just kind of rolled with it. Um, the books have gotten harder to write as I go on because uh, it, They've, sorry, they've gotten harder to do well because I don't want to repeat myself or just kind of phone it in. Um, so they are harder to do. But it, having said that, I am working on the 11th book in the series. Wow. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. I, it, it might be the last one because I don't. I honestly don't know if I can push it any further. Um, but I still like the world I created, and it, in a way, it's 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 fun, but it's also easy to dive back into because I don't have to I don't have to really establish the world anymore or really introduce everybody. Like I'm not starting from scratch. It's like it's kind of like 
ready for uh, TV, I suppose. Like everyone's tuning in and they know who everybody is. You know, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, for you too, you don't have to learn them all over again either. Yeah, true. Uh, although at this point, I do have to keep, I have got a, what I call a Bible, which is just a stack of notes with like, a, you know, there's a summary for each book and then just tons of details. And I'm constantly looking back on it going, oh, yeah, who's, who's Billy's uncle? I forget his <laughs> name. And what does he drive and where does he live? It's like, oh my God, so many details. Well, I guess by by number eleven, yeah, that would <laughs> that would be necessary. Oh yeah, continuity would be a bitch. Yeah, it can. And sometimes I still get it wrong, and I'll get I'll get an email from a reader going, you know, in book five you said she lived on Bleecker Street, now she's on Elm Street. Get us straight, would you? <laughs> yeah, people get really, really, really fussy about those things. They do. Um. And I probably do, too, but I would never email the author and say, hey, you fuck up. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't say like that. They're actually very nice. Like they're uh, a great group of people, and and they'll catch my mistakes sometimes. I've got, like, yeah, there's about half a dozen people that are uh, beta readers who are just uh, just fans of the of this series. I'll send it to them first, and they – They'll just send me back um, their notes, and they'll catch my typos. It's kind of amazing. Wow, is that so? Did you know them prior to this, or is no. this like a relate? Wow, <laughs> just a kid just, just came out through the thing. Like people who would consistently review it, or they would just shoot me an email. Um, I, I, I have had, um, I've made attempts to. to to try to engage readers more uh, with this series, like in the in the first book, there's an afterword where I talk a bit about my own slight paranormal experiences, and I ask people to send me theirs. And so over the years, I've had tons of people email me telling them telling me their personal ghost story, which has been oh. kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, and in with other things, uh, I've, I've tried to try to do things that will engage the reader. Uh, at one point in the story, the, the main character uh, opens her own bar, a very small little bar. But when I was writing it, I couldn't I couldn't settle on a name for the bar. So I decided to, at the end of the story, she can't decide on a name for the bar. And in the afterward, I asked my readers to send me suggestions because I couldn't pick a name. And uh, it worked out great. I had tons of people email me or tweet me. And sure enough, somebody suggested the name, and I was like, "That's the perfect one." And then in the in the next book, the following book opened with the naming the the, the name of the bar being unveiled, and then in the afterwards of that book, I thanked everybody who made a suggestion. So it was kind of a a fun way to engage with readers and make them feel, or just just kind of involve them more and, and say thank you to them. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's actually, I think that would be super, super important, especially in this day and age with, you know, every, everyone and everything is connected. So it's a lot harder to be the hermit author. Yeah, yeah totally. and, and it's not to your benefit to be that because readers want their favorite authors to engage with them. You know, it yeah. makes them special. You know, yeah, so. I think so. Cause I know that like, even with like when, when I'm reading a book, uh, from an author that I don't know, who's new to me, uh, if I like the book, I get 
weirdly intensely curious about who they are as a human being. And mm-hmm. I don't know why, but and it doesn't take much. I'll go and look at their website or look at their Facebook feed. And all it takes is something like, you know, a picture of their cats or they like to go skeet shooting or they like to, I don't know, mm. lambs in their backyard. It's just, it's a weird personal <laughs> to go, oh, they're, they're human too. I, yeah. And I, but I don't know why, but I always kind of, I need, I get really curious about who they are if I like the, the author. And, and I, I'm not whatever. It's just my thing. <laughs> that's interesting though, because I mean, ties directly into the next thing I was going to say. Um, and that is uh, basically um, Hester as a character, uh-huh. um, the self-deprecative, you know, attitude that character has. Um, I th- I think thought about that a lot, and I think uh, that's a really, really, really realistic reaction for a kid who lost parents at a young age. You know, to be that type of a personality. You know. Um, Especially if you feel like, you know, I mean, I won't say one way or another, but if you feel like an outsider, you know, it's even that much more so. Right. So I guess the point is uh, that why it ties to what you were saying is do you consider yourself pretty much a student of the human animal? Uh, I guess so. Um, Not in the way I've heard other writers do it in how they they're constantly like studying everybody, but I, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about how people react and how they behave. You know, people mm-hmm. are strange. Um, they are. <laughs> but you, you know, even just the, like the act of like, uh, someone like when something bad happens, everyone's trying to be strong. Like, to what end? I don't know. Cause ultimately it doesn't make any sense, but this, why the need to suddenly buck up, like I'm not gonna cry because so you go ahead and cry and the other right. person's thinking exactly the same thing <laughs> and everyone's standing around stiff-lipped going well no one's gonna cry yeah and I'm that yeah, ass standing there bawling his fucking eyes out trust me every time <laughs> <laughs> well I thought Shane I'm glad you brought Hester back up again too and kind of the idea of being an outsider because going back to talking about the sort of um, grief uh, traditions and things that were included in there, I thought that was really effective because Hester is an outsider to this faith and to this, you know, to this family to a certain extent. Right. So I really, I thought that was really effective to, you know, to kind of look at all of their, and not just in grief, but, you know, their faith and just everything else, just sort of observing it and feeling, you know, outside of it. Um, but in a, you know, in a way kind of wanting to learn it to become part of it. Right. Uh, it, you know, in, in some ways it was, it's more, it, it, sorry, it's probably just a sort of literary device because with, with her being the outsider, uh, it's easier to kind of show the, uh, have her, like, sorry, her point of view is the same as the readers because something weird is happening and it's just as strange to Hester as it is to the reader. So, Yeah. No, but it, it also served because I wanted this town to be so full of um, uh, weirdos and strange thinking. Uh, it just worked better for her to be from the outside and constantly being surprised or taken aback by what people are doing um, in terms of customs and, and traditions or superstitions. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it really does. Um, and uh, just because I will forget this, and I don't want to be that, I lost my train of thought again with this one. Um, kudos on the character names. The period names are picture oh, perfect, thank you. I think. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I probably will steal Pardon and use it for one of my own characters <laughs> real <laughs> soon. Please do. I mean, like the, those are such interesting. You, you won't be stealing it from me because I stole it from history or I stole it from somebody else. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those names are like, you know, pardon. I, what a name. Yeah. You know, steadfast mm-hmm. or, you know. Yeah. Or Hester or, yeah. They, I mean, yeah, they all have this, you know, I mean, even, you know, semi more normal names like Prudence and Faith are very, very period names and they work yeah. so well the story. So. Well, especially the name Prudence. Like, if you think what what, what Prudence means, or what prudes are, right. would you really right. want would you really want that for your name? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I could see right away why people kept saying Prue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, you go all the way to Prude, and I'm going to knock you on your ass, Miss. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but what is uh, what is kind of your your research process with that kind of thing? Is that I, I guess is this maybe the first one that you've had to do uh, a higher level of research on, or is that something that you tend to do for all of your writing? No, I, I, I did it more for for this one for sure because uh, it was just because I wanted to get it wasn't just that I wanted to get details right. I wanted to get a certain flavor uh, in the book. So th- there was the the one book about that I mentioned that was all about. The New England Vampire Panic, which where this phenomenon was happening, but if I got a couple books that were, um, they had diaries and journals from mostly women uh, from the early uh, 18th century uh, America, and reading those were really fascinating because some were well written, not well written, but there was some were written very um, like you would expect. And others were like like there was there was one that was the entries were just bullet points because it it was all this woman probably had time for in the day, but like it'd be like Monday uh, uh, took took to bed Tuesday had the baby Wednesday baby died Thursday oh, th- Thursday cousin Fred visited it was it's like the, but it's all in like bullet points and it's like. Big moments like the baby died, and small moments like Uncle Fred visited, uh, or the neighbor had his head kicked in by the horse. Uh, it was really kind of fascinating. Good uh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Life was very short and brutish back then. No shit. So yeah, there, there was some uh, really cool research that I did. In researching that, uh, but I kept it to a minimum because I didn't want to. I don't want to fall down, fall down too far a rabbit hole, mm-hmm. um, or I didn't want to regurgitate too much of it. Like, like you know, when you when you do too much research and suddenly you're putting it all in the book and you're realizing this is too much, it's going to slow down the narrative. Um, so yeah, I, I had a lot of fun researching, but I, I I kept a rein on it, and then I just I had more fun just writing it and getting in, trying to get that voice right and talking about strange superstitions. I love that. 
And I, de- I definitely know what you mean about when you end up putting too much research in it, you end up with a, you know, it just accidentally happens. write a 150,000 word book and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in the process of backing myself out of that situation right now with a book. Oh, yeah. I suddenly realize that I'm sitting there using every single little bit of fucking research and every single memory I have in this thing. And it's like, dude. Nobody wants to hear this shit. <laughs> Tell a story, for fuck's sake, not a textbook. <laughs> That's what editing is for, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wanted to kind of, too, and I know we're sort of reaching back into the past here, but I just thought it was so interesting. So your your family owned a tourist camp when you were growing up. That's right. That's <laughs> um, when I was about I guess uh, my parents decided they wanted to move to Northern Ontario and own a tourist camp. So that's what we did, which was fun. Um, it was fun in the summer times because it was, there was like, uh, it's a beautiful little, little lake. There was eight cottages and a huge lodge. And uh, it was always the same families who came back, usually the, the same two weeks of the year. So it was like having uh, summertime friends, like two weeks, it was the, you know, the Crosby's and two weeks it was the Dills and two weeks it was the Ducharmes or whoever. So that was pretty cool. Um, but the winters were a bit bleak. <laughs> just <laughs> just because it was remote. Like, like our closest neighbor was a quarter of a mile away and they were an old couple. Uh, so, yeah, winters were tough. But in a, in a way... Um, you're, you're kind of forced to be creative. Like back then, like TV was crap. Not only was TV crap, we got three channels and one of those was French. So there was really nothing to watch on TV. <laughs> so you're kind of forced to, you know, get creative or go stir crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah I can imagine. Um, I did that for a while. Lived with, I had a roommate who had a house way, way, way out. Um, not this, that this means anything to anybody, but way, way out, Highway 84 in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I moved in with that guy. He was gone 99% of the time, had the only car in the household, and I couldn't fucking go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that would be rough. Uh, yeah, I lived there for like six weeks and said, you know what, I like you, but fuck you, go away. <laughs> Well, I liked uh, I liked your Jack Torrance reference um, about about living you know out there on it because it's you know when you when you and here's the here's the thing that like has always bugged me about The Shining not that there's anything wrong with it but every time I watch it and Jack Torrance has this big fucking hotel to stay on and like nothing to do because he makes Wendy do everything yeah. and he has all yeah. that time to write and that little bitch just ruins it. He doesn't get anything. I mean, it just drives me insane because so I was kind of like, but it was funny because, you know, when you're talking about, oh, yeah, you know, where you're kind of forced to get creative. But it's like, yeah. And it's not really a vacation, honestly. At that point, you know? no. no, it stops being a break as soon as it gets boring. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Or dangerous. That's my well, family, though. <laughs> Trying to find what. Okay, yeah, I think that was 
front. I'm sorry. I'm narrating while I'm paging through my notes. That's, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I just started to read something from Tim's book, actually, because I glanced at the wrong screen. <laughs> and then you just get sucked in. <laughs> well, are there is there anything um, currently that you're reading and enjoying that you want to talk about? Or um. At the, at the moment, no. I, I'm kind of stuck between. Do you ever get in that phase where you like you finish one book that you really enjoyed, and then you start you start like three others, and none of them are really doing it for you? God, yes. Uh, I'm yeah. kind of there, and I hate being there. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I I might go back to a little while while ago. I read a book called The Auctioneer by Joan Sampson. <clears throat> it was a, a book that came out in the 70s, and I only heard about it through uh, Grady Hendrix. You know, the guy who did oh. the uh, paperbacks from hell? Like, he, yeah. he did My Best Friend's Exorcisms for that. But he's got a, he's been talking, he's got a book called Paperbacks from Hell that just, he just talks about the old, the sort of mass market paperback of the 80s and stuff. Anyway, um, He's been working with Valancourt books, and they've been putting out some of these old classics that have been yeah been out of print for a long time. One of these was one called The Auctioneer, uh, and it's a slow burn. It's not over. It's like horror adjacent because it's not. It's more creepy than anything hor- horrific. But the history behind the story was uh, the book comes out in this like I don't know seventy five or something like that, and the it does well. It's getting good reviews, and there's an there's a movie in the works, and then the author dies. She's like in her 30s. Oh man! So everything kind of stops, but the book lives on because people keep passing it around. Wow. And, yeah, and mm-hmm. Grady talks about it in his book, and then he and then Valancourt came out with a reprint of it. Uh, so I got a, I I picked it up and uh, I, I got a copy and I really loved it because it was such a again it's a small town kind of cut off and a bunch of strange not traditions but just weird way of thinking and then paranoia and power starts to uh, uh, creep into the place anyway that, that I, I might go back and reread that because I enjoyed it the first time it was such a strange book and, and a strange story of a book like this thing yeah became a cult yeah kind of kind of the, all the you know the legend behind that just makes yeah. it intriguing yeah. too yeah and it's also hopeful too because here's a book that should have just been dead but people kept passing it on uh to one another because they liked it so much which is really how uh, how books really live on it's through word of mouth like you can you can spend all the money you want on advertising but at the end of the day, it's just word of mouth that mm-hmm. that yes. live and die on. So, and that's something. Yeah, as uh, reviewers, we've long made a point of is even as a, like I can write a book review on our website, and you know maybe a hundred some people are going to see that. Sometimes a lot more, you know, and then over time some more. But the fact of the matter is, is I can go on Twitter and say, "Hey, motherfuckers, buy this book. It's brilliant," and a hundred motherfuckers will buy it. Yeah, true. You know. Yeah, good point. <laughs> So yeah, word of word of mouth is the better is the better marketing tool, definitely. Yeah. Well, how about you guys? Are you guys is everybody reading anything interesting or they want to recommend? Because I'm clearly in the 
in the recommendation <laughs> mode. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have one. Um, I think I mentioned it on another episode. It's a little bit different, um, but uh, Kathy Koja told us about it a while back. Um, I believe her name is pronounced Maryse Mayher, and I think it's called The Seventh Mansion. And so if you've ever read any of Kathy Koja's books, like The Cipher or anything like that, which are great, it's a very similar style to that. And it's unlike anything I've ever read, but it definitely is a little bit different. But I really enjoyed that one. That's cool. Yeah, I've been wanting to read that one, too. I'm glad you reminded me about it, Rich, because I kind of I marked it on Goodreads, but my TBR is ludicrous. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll have to get you to remind me of, of that because I'll forget in 30 seconds. <laughs> I did um, go look up auctioneer right away. Sorry, Laurel, go ahead. No, you're good. I was just going to say what the couple things I've been reading lately are um, the five turns of the wheel by Stephanie Ellis. Uh, she does a really good job with folk mm-hmm. horror. Um, really? okay. Yeah, which I'm a fan of that. Um, and then I've also been reading The Good House by Tanana Reeve Dew and I am right, I am right. just a, a ghost fiend. I absolutely love ghost stories. And this is one that I just it's a really long book. Um, and I just kind of hope it never ends because it's so right. good. Right. It's one of the best ghost stories I've ever read. personally. Yeah, good. it's excellent. Right. Well, that's going on the TBR then. Um, yeah. Oh, man, I read so many books at the same time. But um, <laughs> I highly, highly recommend and it's not really horror, slightly horror adjacent. Um, Tiffany McDaniel's Betty. Um, I keep hearing about that book. It's a brilliant novel. Yeah. It's very brutal, very disturbing, sometimes hard to read novel. But uh, it, you won't ever forget it. You know, um, I'm pretty much anything she does. Right. I'm down for that. Thank you. Yeah. And. Otherwise, not out yet, but put it on your list for when it is. Stephen Graham Jones is uh, My Heart is a Chainsaw. Is um, that not, like, the fucking greatest title? Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. with envy for that title. Yeah, and, and if, I love the title, yeah. And and couple that with, I don't know if you've read Mongrels, but um, no. Mongrels, the way he did such unique things with werewolves in mongols he turned he's turning around and it's appearing that he's uh going to give us all a whole new look at what a serial killer can be too or a slasher <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome yeah, yeah. so that I, I fell in love with his last book uh um, the only good indians that was oh, such yeah. Remarkable. yeah yeah it definitely is you know i bet you're gonna end up on a lot of instagram bookstagram posts with mm-hmm. that book, though, it'll be it'll be like mm-hmm. a themed like heart books with hearts in the in the title, and you guys are right next to each other. Valentine's Day. Exactly. What more could you want? <laughs> yeah. Try this for commencement. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, uh, do you have anything else you want to make sure we cover before uh, we kick your ass out of here? No, that's it. Um, th- thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed this, and uh, keep up the good work on on the podcast. And you guys are doing a great job. Oh yeah, you want to come back again? Yeah, uh, anytime. I, right I, I got time to shoot the shit. Sure. Excellent. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent. Well, 
And um, I, here comes more of the gushing, but to to everyone who is listening to this, um, Heart Strange and Dreadful, I, I had been hearing about this from everyone who'd picked it up already and was reading it. And it's absolutely true. It is impossible to put down. It is beautifully written and atmospheric. It is creepy. It is everything you want out of horror. Pick it up uh, the second that it drops on February 15th. It's available for pre-order now. Grab it. Thank me later. And that is the unanimous Inkheist opinion. Oh, gosh, thank you, guys. Thank you. That, that really means a lot. I'm gonna You're go most welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I thought we were all having stiff upper lips. No one's allowed to cry. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> I made no such promise. <laughs> all right, man. I really appreciate you being here. Uh, I've had a blast, and I look forward to talking to you again. Great. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. Yep. Have a wonderful. Have a night. good night. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? <laughs>